0: Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power with me, Nick Cull. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we talk about issues of international reputation, foreign policy and a few other things too. And today we're going to take an overall look at COVID-19 and the impact of the pandemic on some of the things we think about in this podcast, including international reputation, and cooperation between states. The big one to get at the gate here, Simon, I think is the impact of COVID-19 on international reputations. Do you think it has made a difference in the numbers you look at? Are you seeing countries being branded by their response to COVID-19, good or bad?
1: Uh, to a to a very, very small degree, um, to a far lower degree than people expect. Uh, one constantly well, yeah. hears governments these days uh, worrying aloud about how their performance um, with respect to the pandemic um, may may have may have in some way damaged their image. I don't know if you're hearing the same thing, but I keep on hearing about Ooh. governments now saying we need to spend more money to improve our image. After the pandemic and um, I I think it's a mistake uh, and I think it's a mistake that comes from several fairly clear sources. Um, The first one is that uh, a lot of these governments are assuming that the rest of the world is interested in their internal affairs. And when you start to study national image and reputation, one of the first things you learn is that the world's population really doesn't know or care very much about the internal affairs of other countries. I'm not talking about the elite informed audience. I'm not talking about uh, people who study international relations or work for a multinational company. I'm talking about just ordinary folks around the world. And um, as we know, um, because the surveys show it year after year, people don't consume or pay very much attention to international news. They don't care very much what's going on inside other countries. And the thing that it's easy to forget or overlook is that the story of how well countries are tackling COVID, even though it is an international phenomenon, is a domestic issue because it doesn't mm-hmm. really have very much impact outside their own borders. So that's one factor, one reason why people wouldn't be very interested. And then the other reason is that um, every country is facing the same challenge at the same time. And so right. almost by definition, none of us have really got time to be thinking about such things because, um, uh, because everybody's facing the same challenge. So we've said this before in, uh, in, in other contexts. The Nation Brands Index um, has, has shown us that the only country whose image was affected at all significantly by the pandemic was China. And and the reason for that appears to be because a lot of people, to some degree or another, hold it responsible. Um, Apart from China, um, no. The countries that are generally applauded in the media for having managed very well indeed are no better off in reputation terms than than they were before, or indeed than the countries who are famous for having done it badly. And actually, quite often, we see people's expectations and perceptions of countries, as so often happens, overriding the reality so for example Sweden is a country that by broad consensus didn't manage the pandemic terribly well Mm -hmm. um, certainly in the early stages and yet um, the majority of people think that it did where does that come from it's their their expectations Sweden is the sort of country that always does things well especially uh, public issues like that therefore it must have done it well and You know, there's a little lesson there about the nature of truth and perception, isn't there? All around the world, Mm -hmm. people going around with a picture in their head of Sweden managing the pandemic beautifully, which is really not the case. And but it simply comes from Sweden's reputation, and that I suppose is the power of brand, isn't it? If you, Mm -hmm. you yeah, no, and.
0: And I, th- I think that there was a little bump for New Zealand, but I, I could see in the numbers that New Zealand is now um, easing back. That hasn't st- that yeah, it hasn't stayed uh, um, uh, boosted. Um, right. And uh, uh, South Korea had so many other good things going on that I think positive uh, coverage of its COVID response just fitted with an overall. Um, Uh, Overall, positive news, positive contributions globally in so many fields from uh, from from South Korea. So it was more more of the same. Um, uh, Of the countries that are spending money on this, I saw that uh, Japan uh, put money into um, you know not only uh, programs to publicize Japan um, responding to COVID, but also uh, they wanted to use artificial intelligence to monitor. Uh, real time discussion of Japan. Uh, Hmm. But this might be an example of uh, using a crisis as a uh, moment to get things uh, done, to get things started that you wanted Hmm. to do anyway.
1: Yeah, it it does make you wonder, though, what, what are these people thinking, these governments, if they seriously imagine that people who live in other countries are going to think better of Japan because it treats its own citizens better. Because by definition, that's of no interest to you if you don't live in Japan. You're not a Japanese <laughs> yes, citizen. Yes. You know How is that relevant to you? If anything, the more you learn about how wonderfully the Japanese government treats its own citizens, the more you're likely to resent it, because your own government doesn't treat its citizens quite as well as Japan does. So the, this is not something to be bragging about. The thing to be bragging no, about, no. if you insist on bragging, is how you're... Uh, competence and capability in managing the pandemic has proved itself useful to people who live in other countries and other places. Right. so the so the countries right. that are doing the most and i don't mean these pathetic gestures of mask diplomacy and all the rest of it because we all know that's superficial and somewhat cynical the countries that really are working hard to support the who that are really that are are funding um, the international vaccine programs Mm -hmm. um, that are fighting as uh, some are at the moment to um, remove intellectual property restrictions on the vaccines and so on and so forth the people who are trying to help the world they're the ones who are going to benefit Um, but it you know the usual rules apply it has to be real stuff real actions real policies real initiatives um, and 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 not just blowing your own trumpet.
0: Do you think that the vaccines are coming with um, flags attached that people understand where um, or which vaccine comes from which country? I guess Sinovac has put it right on the label. Um, yeah. the-
1: I think at the margins, yes, um, it, it has. At the margins, there's a marginal effect, so nobody's at all surprised that the majority of the vaccines come from. Um, wealthy countries, with lots of scientists in them, um, Mm -hmm. like America and Britain and and so forth. I think when you hear about a country like uh, India, or even Russia, um, producing its own vaccine, which appears to be effective, then that has a marginal effect in the sense that it adds another tiny weight to the general understanding of the world's population that these countries can do things which perhaps 20 or 30 years ago, they couldn't do. Um, So for India, um, I think it's probably generally good, but nothing like as um, phenomenal as people seem to imagine. Right, right. Research into country of origin effect, just looking at The products generally coming from certain countries suggests that one or two big brands that are associated with a particular country don't really do much for the overall reputation of that country. You have to be Germany or Japan or Italy or America and have literally dozens and dozens and dozens of them uh, sold effectively um, and very widely purchased worldwide before they start to operate really as proper ambassadors for the country's image. And, And over time. And over time, it takes a while, right? So I think think go ahead,
0: but I was just just thinking that though, um, uh, in terms of images being generated during COVID, Mm. we've seen uh, you know we can we can say, uh, and I I I agree with you that um, uh, we're not seeing a lot of movement. Uh, in terms of international reputation. But I, I, I think that the image politics has been very much stirred up uh, mm. by the pandemic and the pandemic has become uh, an issue of concern in um, uh, with, with countries uh, negatively Uh, or attempting to negatively brand each other, and tremendous confusion over exactly what's going on. So we can talk about um, the the pandemic having played out in an atmosphere of increased disinformation Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, confusion over what's true, uh, what is um, tendentious, Mm. um, what what is explicitly false. Yes. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think that the um, may, maybe the impact of this on national image is minor compared to the disruption this is causing to public health policies around the world. So you know, what do you think about the the the, um, disinf- the, the uh, association of the pand- pandemic with uh, massive um, disinformation and media confusion?
1: Well, you know, Nick, I I find myself thinking more and more often these days that if I had a magic wand and I could teach Mm -hmm. the world's population just one thing, I think the one thing I would choose to teach everybody in the world today is that it's not necessary to have opinions about everything. Um, (laughs) Wisdom wisdom consists uh, in part in uh, understanding how little you understand and how complicated things Mm -hmm. are. And one of the um, one of the interesting and perhaps predictable effects of more and more democracy and more and more freedom is that people feel called upon more and more often to understand more and more quite complicated things. And the pandemic is as complicated as you could possibly wish for. You know what actually works? Mask wearing. You take a an apparently simple factor like wearing masks. It is immensely complex. Understanding where it's valuable, where it's not valuable. It's a it's a Um, It's a classic wicked problem. And yet, Mm -hmm. because of the world that we live in today, because we, the citizens, at least in the West, have so much power, uh, because our voices reach so far via social media and all the rest of it, we sense that we are expected to know about and to understand and to hold firm opinions on every single topic that passes in front of us every day. And it's a bewildering variety of different topics. And so I think people are caught in a bit of a trap that mm-hmm. um, somebody needs to give us all permission not to have um, opinions about these things and to be able to, a little humility, to use an old-fashioned word, to, to, mm-hmm. to dare to say in public to our friends on social media, actually, I think this is a really complicated subject and I don't pretend to know the answer. I can see that mm-hmm. there are not just two, but many sides to this issue. And not enough people are doing that anymore. Politicians never did it because, of course, it's it's not part of their job to admit that they don't know things. When was the last time a politician dared to admit that he or she didn't know something? The problem, that's all right if the politicians are the only people who are pretending to know everything, and the scientists, of course. But when the whole of society has to pretend to know everything all the time, and by the way, not only do you have to hold an opinion, you have to hold it very forcibly. If not aggressively, intransigently, uh, belligerent, yes, um, and yes. Uh, this, this is all dangerous stuff and bad news.
0: Well, I think that that was certainly looking back. One of the problems was that issues uh, that should have been lightly held became components of people's identity, right, and um, were. It's as if they were. Um, uh people became very attached to views they should have had a, a, a only a, pa- a passing attachment to mm-hmm. uh, i also think that we're seeing the problem of uh people in authority misspeaking at an early stage mm-hmm. and then having to retract that, that yeah. has plainly done tremendous damage so at the very at the very beginning of the pandemic uh, in the US Fauci said something about um you don't uh, of course uh, we don't think everybody needs to wear a mask or that it, masking is not important for ordinary people mm. and um that was a mistake Yeah. Uh, I, th- I believe he said it because they didn't have enough masks for uh, everybody to have a mask. And if citizens had wanted masks, it would have made masks unavailable for uh, mm. medical personnel. But it's it's now quite clear that that's what you need. Uh, and masks are what um, slow the spread. Uh, mm. But it was almost like a kind of magic going on where people were, were, were disinfecting their groceries when they got them back from the shop and um, hoping that would we 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 seem so looking back on it i mean it's only 2 years ago that this all broke out it it seems as eccentric some of the things that people were doing in good faith as yeah. as the um uh uh responses people took on during the during the plagues in mm. the 17th century you know uh, uh wearing a duck face on you know a leather yes. duck mask or something you know yes. um it, it, it just uh um a very uh confused uh, a very confused picture and we and that confusion i think has undermined the undermined the credibility of government information at an early at an early stage yes well there also seems to be a problem where um different uh with different branches of government saying slightly different things Mm. at 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 different times and um I think that part of what went well in South Korea was that local, um, regional, and national government were all saying the same thing.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, well, the advantages of running a tightly governed system. Um, the 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 most the most damaging and dangerous discovery that politicians, uh, not just in the West, but here and there everywhere, have made in the last oh five years or less, is that the penalties for contradicting yourself uh, or even lying are slight to non-existent. Um, And it all operated on a system of trust and fear up until five years ago. Um, Politicians didn't dare, on the whole, to lie out and out blatantly to the public because there was this fear that you wouldn't get away with it. But the moment people like Trump and Johnson started doing it brazenly, it became obvious that actually the, um, the the penalties for doing that were imaginary. Um, people just run out of outrage after a while. They um, yes. we 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 no longer notice or even care. So the 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 problem today in politics is not so much that the politicians started lying because they've always lied. The problem is that we've stopped minding. Um, and we stop mining it because we, they, they do it so regularly and systematically. And once you've heard a politician deny that they said something uh, 20 seconds after seeing the video replay of them saying it, after a certain number of times you've seen that, then it stops having any impact. And you just say, okay, whatever, that's what they do. So that's really scary. But of course, as you rightly said a moment ago, this does all uh, come back to identity. And the identity issue, I think, it's become so core to all of this recently because it reminds me a little bit of the of the the story of Adam and Eve in the in the Christian and Jewish Bible, um, who suddenly became aware of their nakedness and were mm-hmm. ashamed or afraid. They felt naked, uh, metaphorically speaking, and so began to cover themselves. And I think it's a bit like that with identity. Uh, periods in history where large chunks of society uh, don't have clear um, assignments Mm -hmm. of identity imposed on them. They're not followers of such and such a leader. Um, They're not uh, passionately attached to such and such a religion. It's human nature after a while to start feeling rather uncomfortable because it's as if you're in an area where there are no maps and you don't know where you fit in society. You could be anybody. And to a great extent, brands can fill in there, consumer brands, You can wear your 90s and you can wear your Levi's and that signals something about which tribe you belong to and who you are and where you're from. And that enables other people to triangulate you in the emptiness of society and say, because there's no class anymore in many societies, um, accents can't tell you much, your name doesn't tell people very much. Uh, People don't necessarily remain within their social class or their geographical location. So we're all swimming in a featureless void, and that makes us Mm -hmm. feel very naked because it means we don't have a clear identity. We're human and nothing else. And so that's why, just as Adam and Eve grabbed the nearest fig leaf, or at least the artists who represented them centuries (laughs) ago, to cover their nakedness, um, we're doing the same thing. I've got to know where I stand. I've got to know which which part it and, and so these
0: what people are seizing on um uh, on on these um, uh, things from the news uh mm. pandemic responses mm. and turning them into badges of tribal identity Yes, but I agree with you, and I think that the adam and eve example is is a, is a is a great one, but particularly because I don't know if you do you remember God's response when Adam and Eve started talking about their nakedness? he immediately says to them who told you mm. you were naked yes and they, they the, uh, this is a really important to, question to ask why do we feel this lack who is telling us mm. that we lack these things who is uh, and I, I i think that uh, reflects right back on uh, on on the media mm. and on um, the platforms of information uh, uh available which tell us what we have is not enough mm. uh, tells us um these uh gives us these these negative uh messages because they've got a vested interest in us consuming a lot of the t- yes. a lot of the time so who told you you were naked is a question that i often uh, often comes to uh, uh, often comes to mind Your uh, for me <laughs> no, but I, I I like to think that the that the uh, communication studies has a, a uh, what do you call it? a divine uh, divine um, uh, sanction somewhere along uh, somewhere along the line. But who told you you were naked? Um, and uh, I I, I um, uh, but ab- absolutely we can see people um, trying to uh, or, or or being uh putting putting the weight of identity onto issues like mask wearing and not mask wearing mm-hmm. uh, another thing that that struck me with the um with the pandemic uh was that no two people seemed to have exactly the same uh, response to the different measures that were uh being enacted by the, the government or requested or required Uh, Everybody put their boundary in a slightly different place, uh, which made things interpersonal relations uh, quite difficult. Uh, You know, somebody who would always wear a mask might not want to bump fists, but to actually shake hands, uh, those sorts of those sorts of things. So we were all slightly at odds with each other throughout the whole process.
1: Yes. And, and, And nothing surprising about that, because, of course, knowing what's best to do in any given situation is immensely complex. And uh, the experts, the real experts, are the only people who are admitting that they don't quite know the full answer in every moment. Um, and yet, again, somebody's told us we're naked unless um, we have an answer to every single question. You you should wear a mask, but not a cloth mask. You should wear it indoors, but not in the bus, um, and so on and so forth. It's, it's as if we have to learn a whole new dialectic for living with every week that passes, and a vast amount of contradictory information is dumped on us from the conventional media, from social media, from friends. And somehow out of all of this, we have to we have to construct a set of beliefs, a way yes. of living, a way forward. And what you said uh, just now, um, I think is is absolutely um, correct. The reason why we we flock so hurriedly, towards these tribal identities is because they save us the effort of having to forge um, a personalized set of beliefs. Because when you buy into a tribal identity, just exactly as when you buy into a political identity, Mm -hmm. left-wing, right-wing, social democrat, whatever it is, you've saved yourself a mountain of trouble because you've bought ready-made answers for every key issue. And you don't have to think about Mm -hmm. them separately in their own light. You don't have to read up You just say, okay, I'm a conservative, therefore my view on abortion is this, my view on mask wearing is this, and we all do this. We all do it because fundamentally it saves us time. And that's an evolutionary Mm -hmm. mandate to save ourselves time. Mm -hmm. It's a habit we cannot lose. And I think that that, as well as the, the sense of nakedness, is part of the reason also why we are endlessly and permanently victims to whatever tribal identity is on offer because it's a one-size-fits-all solution, a set of ready-made answers to any question that anybody can ask you. And that's why you find that people are very often changing their minds the whole time, uh, because before they bought into a particular identity, they may have had a perfectly personal, idiosyncratic view about one or other of those issues. But of course, it doesn't fit with being left-wing, or it doesn't doesn't fit with being a social democrat. So, uh, and and you, you can't stick out. You can't be a member of the tribe <laughs> and not believe in everything that the tribe believes in. So you have to then rush around adjusting all of your opinions so they conform to the norm. And this is so far from intelligent human behavior. This is so far from being the kinds of people we need to be if we want to solve the challenges facing humanity today. But, but it really feels like going backwards.
0: I, I agree. Uh, but at the at the you know you were just talking there about the challenges facing humanity, and both you and I have argued that national identities should be uh, advanced through col- through collaboration, mm. and that the problems of the world are too big for any one country to solve. So uh, let's work together, and uh, let's um, uh, develop positive images through our ability uh, by demonstrating an ability to cooperate. Now, uh, clearly, COVID nineteen is one of these problems that is too big for any one country to solve. Mm. Um, you know, pandemics, I think, are the object lesson in why fixing a problem in one country alone um, mm. does not cause uh, does you know d- d- does does not work. You know, we're mm. in a situation where um, uh, the Omicron variant came from South Africa to my house quicker than mail from South Africa to my house yeah uh, we're all, we're all in this uh, t- together do you think that the con- countries of the world have successfully been able to collaborate uh, will covid-19 be recorded as a moment of collaboration or a moment of um, chaos when uh, countries failed to get their acts together what what do, what do you think the dominant the the, the, the the dominant reality is out there
1: I suspect that over time we'll come to realize that this was the beginning of the learning curve this was because we've we've um, collaborated on the whole so poorly and so ineffectually I don't yeah. mean the scientific and research community who are used to uh, and benefit directly from international collaboration and are are good at it Um but I mean governments and, to some extent, populations um, by, by, by mishandling and misunderstanding the opportunities for cooperation and collaboration, by confusing um, the risk from the, uh, from the virus with uh, sovereignty and independence and national pride and all that other rubbish that we insist on mm-hmm. mixing up with everything else. We missed the opportunity. To avoid an enormous amount of suffering and death. So, the best possible outcome of this will be that we could look back on this and say, this was the beginning of us realizing what global challenges are really like. Mm-hmm. And some, that's noticeably something we've failed to understand so far, which is why we've made such desperately poor progress against climate change. So, I see the pandemic as being, if it doesn't sound too cynical, as being. Um, a very, very useful dry run for climate change because it's illustrated, mm-hmm. as you say, as perfectly as you possibly wish for, um, the classic game of global, 21st century globalised problems, whack-a-mole. Um, right. There's, there's, there's no better example of of whack-a-mole um, than, than, than the pandemic. And as I say, precisely because we've handled it so poorly um, and we've been so disjointed and we've been so bad at communicating with each other, we must surely now begin to understand that actually that's where we fail um, and that's where we need to improve. And and I'm I'm particularly interested in this in the context of climate change because if you look at climate change, it's an exact parallel. The um, diplomacy is relatively well joined up globally on climate change. The science is extraordinarily well joined up on climate change. But the politics and and the, the sociology of climate change How do we deal with public opinion and public behavior could not be more divisive or divided? There are only a handful of countries, anyway, that even bother to do uh, climate change communications to their populations. And they do it entirely separately. They don't, as far as I can see, they don't even speak to each other. So, one of the most urgent things that's got to happen is that we've got to take a lesson from uh, institutions like the WHO and start saying so, where and how and when do we start globalizing? the communication of climate change. Uh, last time yes. I checked the Yale communication, uh, the, the Yale University's Center for Climate Change Communications, they were saying that still 30% of the world's population haven't, hasn't even heard of climate change yet. So Good there's a vast communications task to be performed. This is a classic public service brief, like wearing seatbelts in cars, like stopping smoking. We know that those campaigns can work, we know that they can change society. We know that this is a global problem. We're doing it in perhaps two countries uh, differently in, in, in those two but countries.
0: But equally, we're seeing the, the, the flip side is that we are seeing the emergence of identities which look to a denial of climate mm. or a disruptive view of climate science as being a badge of identity, as being mm. incorporated into a... Uh, a a tribal uh a, a political tribe yeah. and so i think that that's uh you know very very problematic uh um, before we've even got the the collective effort um uh, underway uh, my feeling is that these things are are cyclical uh, historically we've had periods of collective difficulty when we've realized our interdependence mm. and we have uh, adopted uh, collaborative responses. So yeah. you think 1919, 1945, 46, mm. uh, and, and 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 so forth. Um, uh, so I, I I agree with you that we will um, that that the pandemic will be part of a um, an, an awakening of the need for collaboration. Um, I'm I think, however, that. The need for collaboration is something that we all need to um, uh, remain attached to, mm. uh, and that we cannot w- we must always be on the watch for swinging back into the kind of uh, polarization we have right now, and yes. the, the, the counter, counterproductive uh, politics of sovereignty, or the way it's being expressed right now is so counterproductive, so yeah. limiting on the solutions that we need. Yes. Um. I. 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 think it's like a. Uh. Almost. A, it's a. It's a pandemic in its own right. Uh. Mm. But one that. Uh. Forever comes back.
1: Yes. Yes. I think that. I think that's absolutely right. Um. And. And of course, what makes all this doubly difficult is that it is all all taking place, as we said earlier, against a backdrop, of increasing uncertainty about about facts and data. Um. That you know, it's all very well to say that we need to cooperate and collaborate in order to fight off climate change. But when nobody feels sure anymore about what that looks like and whether climate change exists in some cases, even, um, then it's incredibly hard. You can't even get to first base, as the Americans would say, because if there's no common yeah. understanding of the nature of the problems. And I think quite a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of activity going on now, as we all know, uh, to try to salvage truth. Um, from the from the chaos and the mess in which it finds itself at the moment, I have to say that I think quite a lot of it is misdirected. Most of the focus seems to be on various forms of fact checking, and um, th- there's a there's a danger with fact checking that it basically provides a possibly misleading veneer of respectability on certain facts. Um, which is quite dangerous because, as we know, it's not necessarily the facts that are true or false that makes a false narrative. It's the way that they're assembled. And by applying um, reliable brands of truthfulness onto fact-checked facts, we're basically handing bricks to the liars and saying, here, make your edifice out of this. Um, The the people who peddle half-truths and mistruths uh, don't bother with lies anymore because they know that that's not very effective. They make absolutely sure that all the facts they use to assemble their arguments are checked facts. Um, the, the difficulty is the ones you leave out. Uh, the difficulty is the lack of a proper context, um, the mm. partial story, and so on and so forth. So we've got a dreadful situation at the moment where the fact checkers are actually making it potentially easier and easier Um, for the misleaders um, and the untruth tellers uh, to tell their untruth uh, by using uh, facts that are branded as uh, as reliable. Um, It's a huge task, teaching people critical thinking. You know, as a university professor, how many years it takes when you've got, even with highly intelligent students with a, a very good school background how long it takes to train them to distinguish truth from falsehood and facts from semi-facts. And we sometimes somehow have to do this for the whole of society. We can't farm it out or outsource it to a fact-checking agency no. because they don't do the job for us. The ultimate final defense against falsehood it has, to be, has right. to be within It has to be
0: in your personal judgment. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think it's very interesting that a discussion of the pandemic could lead us to fundamental questions around media and democracy. Uh, but and it's a reminder that the, the pandemic happened in a world that was already profoundly troubled, and has played out uh, in a way that has uh, e- has exacerbated pre-existing problems and has illuminated difficulties that we uh, o- already. Uh, already had. That's all we've got time for today. We've got a lot of material here to come back to, and I hope in the future we can talk more uh, about um, uh, uh, this issue, especially, I think, around both education and climate deserve um, a, a revisit. Thanks so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cull. And I'm still Simon Anhold.